Welcome back, everybody. Happy Easter. And we're off. I was hoping to have an intro where you didn't say that. You went super quick out the gates trying to not give me that opening. Yeah. But I took it. Yeah. Why are you so disobedient to me? Because we still have not connected with Emily. She sent an email, though. I know she did. Yeah. So we got to we will soon have intro music soon. Otherwise, I could just play something little ditty on my guitar. Oh, <laughs> uh, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Easter. Yeah. So uh, yesterday I was on uh, the Augustine Institute live show with Tim Gray, and he was talking about how happy Easter sounds so secular. Totally. And so the ancient Christian greeting of he is risen. He is indeed. He's, yes. Yes, or you could say crisis. Actually, I'm like, I must have brain damage. I'm not even saying it right. It's Christ is risen, and then he is risen indeed. He or, is he risen is, indeed. or he is truly risen. Do you know the Greek? Of course you don't. Sorry, why do I ask questions like that? No, 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 I do, for yeah. sure. I'm gonna, but for the viewer audience, why don't you tell us what it viewer is? Viewer audience. So yeah. the, uh, the Greek is Christos Anesti, oh. and the response is Alithos Anesti. <sighs> Just not as fun. I actually kind of like it better. It has a certain ring to it. I like the, I like Alithos, truly. It just sounds nice. Oh, it is nice. So uh, Jesus oftentimes in the Gospels will say, um, Aletheia, Aletheia, like truly, truly, I say to you. Lego humin. Uh, and usually when he does that, he's taking an oath. He's, that's an oath formula. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you, would be one example from John Where can 6. we find that? John chapter six, it's close to verse 53, but I don't think that's exactly nice. 53. Nice. I have been nice. butchering, I was telling Patrick, I butchered with, with Dr. Tim Gray, who's a friend of mine, a mentor, brilliant guy. Uh, but we were on this Augustine Institute live show and I just, I totally misquoted a scripture passage. So embarrassing. It's luckily, I mean, you were the one that pointed out to me, I would have no idea. And, but I knew that meant a lot to you because well, that is... I was thinking about uh, the resurrection appearance in John's gospel uh, in John chapter 20, but I, I had a brain like wires crossed because we've been in Mark's gospel this year. And so for some reason I said, you know, in Mark's gospel and so embarrassing, so embarrassing. Oh my gosh. I'm going to hire fact checkers. I'm going to see if Facebook can start fact checking you. Amen. And well, anyone who speaks publicly or on a podcast, you know that sometimes you just say things in the moment and you're like, Oh, why did I say that? That was weird. Yep. Um, so please forgive me all of my sins. Shout out on a cruise who once was like, man, we love your podcast, but you, you're using a lot of cuss words. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even realize it was in the beginning. I think I, I dropped one or two and, uh, um, Aiden, who's just my favorite kid of all time. I think after the car. that's right. Well, yeah, Gianna for sure. Uh, but, and it was one of those things where I just got caught up. It is. It's, it can be intimidating when you really think, and you're doing a podcast of like, there's potential that we can say something that yeah. we may or may not really intended. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully you don't butcher anything today. <laughs> <laughs> Pray for that. Pray for that. Uh, we are in Easter week. We hope you're all, when we record this, hope you're having a great Easter uh, in having the joy of the risen Christ in your life. Um, and lots happened. We want, I wanted to give a quick shout out to all of those who came into the church at Easter. So that's right. Ryan here with us, uh, entered the Catholic faith. Congratulations. Uh, and so many of, we had 21 people 
become Catholic at our Easter vigil here at Lords. And there's and nine on Palm Sunday. Uh, yeah, exactly. I thought it was more than that. Maybe. Maybe it was nine. I don't know. But we were definitely at or over 30 people in total. Yeah. And so it's just a, a wonderful thing. And I will say for me as a priest, you know, there's so many difficult things as there are in any life, but uh, the priesthood, the, one of the most affirming things that ever happens is watching people become Catholic Totally. and teaching RCIA more priests should teach RCIA. Not enough priests do that. And walking with these people over the course of the year and then watching so many of them decide, yep, I want to follow Jesus in the Catholic church. It is like, I can't tell you what joy it brings me. It's just awesome. Yeah, it was, it was so beautiful. It was kind of funny. I was like joking with Steph afterwards. Um, how many people, cause I obviously I work here and especially anyone that's being confirmed, but how many people came up to me asking me like, what is happening that night? Like, you know, what happens next or when do I stand up or all these, these are RCIA things. people or uh, a lot of RCIA, but just kind of in general, okay, sure. just parishioners that were there sure. and just trying to understand the format for the evening. Yep. And I was kind of joking. I was like, I was confirmed two years ago. Yep. And then we didn't have it last year due to COVID. Mm -hmm. So I had no, idea. I really don't know. Cause like, when I was going through it, I was, it was my first time. I was that one being like, you know, I'm worried about my white outfit, let alone it, like any of that kind of stuff. So it was really interesting and it was really tough. And like, you guys, I have no idea what's about to happen. Yeah. This is literally like the first time I can actually process it. Um, but it was, man, that was absolutely gorgeous. The Easter vigil. So it is beautiful. It is so much to put on and oh, I, yeah. we've gotten better at it at Lords, but it is, Every year I'm like, okay, what am I going to screw up this year? And, and I never can preach well at Easter. I can never preach well because I build up like all this pressure on myself. And I'm like biggest feast of the year. And we've got to say everything perfectly right now. Bam. You know, and it doesn't well, you, work out that you're way. You're your harshest critic. But I'm like the anti Tom Brady, which in many ways, one, because I'm actually a decent human being. Be careful um, what you say here. You realize. <laughs> but no, I want to pay him a, a compliment, actually. Oh, yes. Is that he steps up under high pressure situations, mm. much like John Elway, not quite as good as John Elway, oh. but he is very good in high pressure situations. And I'm just not. I do better just with like the normal, hey, we're in a normal Sunday, but we're just going to, we're going to nail this. And well, it was gorgeous. Um, again, you're your harshest critic. So you um, probably have a, expectation with yourself but um i will also say i mean to your point i remember i woke up on saturday and driving down from erie and we had a 9 a.m walkthrough and yes. i i kind of forgot about that too mm -hmm. and i was like why in the world aren't we why didn't we just do the walkthrough on like wednesday at rcia like and i didn't realize like we had music there we had Every ounce of everything was being rehearsed. I yeah. thought it was more just like RCIA kind of learning when to stand up and what they say in response. Right. It was like, so goofy. And then again, I had no idea. I mean, you guys had like 20 pages of like notes you were reading. And when yeah, you do this, it's complex. Everyone, I mean, it is a well oiled machine. It's really impressive yeah. that I don't think anyone understands until you actually experience it uh, behind yeah. the scenes. It's kind of like when you, go to college and you were like in your apartment and you're like, Oh, I get to cook dinner now. And you're like, Oh, this is actually difficult. Yeah. This is real what life. mom has been doing for me for my That's right. past, you know, 18 years Yep, was much more difficult than I thought it was. 
Even mac and cheese is difficult. I used to eat when I was a freshman at CU. And then we should get to our topic, but one yes. story. Uh, when I was a freshman at CU, my mom came to visit me at good old Hallett Hall. And I was at that Hallett point Hall, when I had, nice. so I had my meal plan where you go to the, the dining hall on was campus. Buff pass, buff. Uh, buff I, one, they changed I that after yeah. I was graduated out of CU. But I remember being in my college dorm room and I didn't have plates because I was an idiot 18 year old. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know how to do anything. Yep. And so I literally for snacks, I would heat up like hot pockets and things on the back of a Frisbee in the microwave. <laughs> my mom and my mom showed up and she was like, Brian Larkin, what are you doing? Yes. Mom, I can't imagine Teresa was pumped. Mom, I don't need your judgment. Okay. <laughs> this is how I roll. Uh, I don't need your plates. Your mom for the win. Again, I still need to actually just call her, but the St. Gerard prayer and novena that we did that she mm -hmm. gave us yes. has been a total game changer. That's great. It is so beautiful. Yeah, devotionals. Um, so going back, okay, let's take, let's kind of now enter into the topic for let's today. Let's talk about what we're actually here to talk about. Where are we going? Um, who am I when I grow up? No, um, so yesterday you had, it was, it was actually really cool. I think it's a pretty big deal uh, that you got to go on and, and do the Unformed live with Dr. Tim Gray. Yeah, he's, he is a great gift to the Church of the United States. Man, he is. I mean, he, they do such amazing work and it's really cool, man. We'll watch you on there. And um, so I want to encourage anyone to go back and you can go rewatch it. Um, but you guys were talking about, you know, and, and it was kind of an interesting thing. I think I'm so used to, you kind of broke down exactly what we talked about earlier of like, you know, it's not just, Hey, happy Easter, but then the octave and the eight days post Easter. And it's yeah. kind of, you know, again, I think last episode we talked about like when I grew up, it was pretty much, you went to mass, you went to church, then you're going to go to brunch. And then on Monday, it's just kind of over. Yeah. Like it's similar. Just, Similar like Christmas, right? I get, exactly. <clears throat> I talk every year at Lords about at Christmas people stop celebrating Christmas on December twenty sixth. Right. But the church doesn't. The church believes that, and part of the problem, and uh, Tim mentioned this, but we I think we might have talked about it on our podcast. You really can't feast if you don't fast. Right. Um, you know, for for someone, uh, what would be a good one of the analogies I'll use sometimes? I think I might have said this on the podcast. Is that if you ate Thanksgiving dinner every single day, that's right. If you ate turkey and mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce and green bean casserole and all those things, and that's what you had every single day for lunch or dinner, Thanksgiving isn't going to mean anything to you. Right. It's kind of one of the, the fringe benefits of people who wait for uh, the marital act until they're married. Totally. Right. It, it makes it all that more special. And so with, with celebrations, you can't feast if you don't fast. If you don't have a sense of, I'm not supposed to just indulge and we're going to get to this today. I'm not just supposed to say yes to myself whenever I have any craving. Totally. And the person who, if you live your life and most of us do, and by the way, as always on this podcast and just not just podcast, but in my Christian life, so oftentimes the things that we talk about are things that I'm wrestling with. Totally. Yeah. How do I get to a place in my life as Brian Larkin where I learned to be more disciplined about, I don't have to say yes to myself every time I want a beer. Mm -hmm. I can say no, and I can intentionally deny myself thing, myself things. And that's actually what we want. I want to put I want to get to today is ironically, that's going to make you actually have a life that's more complete and more fulfilling. Totally. 
It is. It's it's crazy. I while I was watching it, and I was kind of just thinking to myself in the interview with um, Dr. Tim Gray, and we had and I'm uh, another quick shout out. We had someone write in. I I'm I'm sorry. I don't have my computer in front of me, and I briefly read the email today. So shout out to I can't remember his name. I either. can't remember his name, but he did. I want to say Bob, but that's probably wrong. Oh man, we'll get to. I'm his so topics. sorry. We are going to get to it. Yeah. it. yeah, he had an amazing email. And I was really, and then I went and watched um, your interview and I was mm-hmm. kind of like balancing the questions that were in there. And it was about abortion and a question about gay marriage and, and all these things that are so real in the world today. And seem concrete. And concrete and like stuff that I'm going to actually step outside and before I'm going to pull up to Starbucks, there's going to be a rainbow flag. I'm going to go. And, you know, there's news coming out today of this book that's becoming famous that you find in Target, yet Ryan Anderson's been removed from Amazon. Like, real, like, things that are really conflicting. And it's kind of like the more news you watch, it's like, (laughs) the more it feels like the world is ending. And people's lives, right? Correct. Cancel culture. Yeah, and and I think with the question we got on this email, and we will get to that, I think we'll address that, you know, in the coming weeks at some point. Yeah. But there, part of the question this guy asked was, it's about people's real lives. And he was asking about a gay couple that he knows who it sounds like are wonderful people. Yeah. And who did something really, um, and you know, and from a they, certain perspective, very noble where yeah. they adopted a child. And I would, let's just say it is noble there. I, I just want to say that going out to, to help a child in need. And that's a person's life. And it seems like, I think these are the concrete things. Uh, and, so oftentimes our questions are about here's the concrete yeah. and how does the being a Catholic and a Christian, can we just talk about my life today and what's happening there? And I think today what we want to get to is why should I care more about these kind of um, theoretical sort of ephemeral things uh, like heaven and scripture, the afterlife? Why should I, why should I care about the theology of uh, Colossians two or the thought of Plato and Aristotle instead of like, Hey, this is my real life right here. I've got someone in front of me. And I, I think that's where we want to go today. Isn't it? Uh, that, that was what I was basically balancing in my head as I was watching both of those. And you guys were di- diving into like the octave and eight days after Easter and how this all plays in. And then on the flip side, I'm like, man, but I really want to ask these questions over here. And I'm like, why is it so important to focus on those things in your life? Scripture, theology, all that kind of stuff where it's, it's less common to go out to a bar and, you know, start talking a bunch of scripture. And instead you're inundated with so many mixed messages and the government doing this and that and the other, is there a correlation or what, what's the, what would be, I guess the question for you is like, what would be the reason to focus on scripture? Why do we emphasize it so much yeah. versus what's really happening um, day in and day out? Yeah, and I think there's so many ways you could answer this question. The place I want to start today, I think, Patrick, is I, th- I think a great place to start is the question of what is a human being? Mm. Not what you not, saw coming, I huh? I did not see Yeah, there's a little curveball for you. <laughs> there's a little curveball. Yeah. What is a human being? And I think this is really important to what we want to say today is the reason why it's not smart to just fixate on what's in front of you is because a human being is more than that. And so 
so pragmatists and what I mean by that is a lot of people are like, you'll hear this in the priesthood. A lot of people will say, Oh, that's a nice idea, but that's pie in the sky stuff. Let's talk about what works and what matters and what's in front of us in concrete. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that human beings are more than what is concrete. And so Balthazar has a great quote where he says, uh, man, and he, by man, right in English, where our language sometimes is impoverished because when we say the word man can mean a male or it can mean humanity. And so oftentimes when we get quotes from other languages, Balthazar was a German speaking Swiss theologian. Um, other languages have different words that are, that don't mean just, they don't have the male connotation. They mean humanity. So that's what's happening in this quote. So Balthazar says, uh, man is a being who knows what meaning is. And even if he has given up on finding an answer to the question of the meaningfulness of life, he cannot help but always search for it. Mm. And I think, you know, to start with today, I think that nothing's more natural for us than to try to fulfill our immediate desires. Totally. Right. And I think the Christian, and again, by the way, this is, this is not just Christian. There's, there's different kind of technical words out there. And so like a hip thing for uh, a lot of modern people is what's called secular humanism. You ever heard of that? Not so much. So secular humanism, what it basically means is I don't want to be a Christian, but I also recognize that life is much more than just uh, science or fulfilling very basic animal needs. Right? Like what do animals do? Animals eat, sleep, and they fornicate or copulate, right. right? They have the sexual drive, they eat, they sleep. And in a certain sense, right? If you, the natural thing, right? This is what we call, if you have that, if you're pursuing those things, this is what we call a college kid, right? Totally. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I see that. That's what we call a college kid. That's eating right. Food off your frisbee. You're eating food off your frisbee, right? And that's and that's all that matters. But that's what animals do, right? And mysteriously, and so secular humanists, secular means worldly. It's a Latin term. Uh, means the age or the world. Secularists don't want to believe in God, but they also want to acknowledge the church's deep insights that to live a full life, you really want to find happiness. You, you, the things you think are going to make you happy, if you pursue those and that's all you pursue, you're actually going to end up not being happy. Right. And so you don't have to be a Christian to say this. And secular humanists, at the end of the day, I think there's, there's real problems with secular humanism, and that's not our topic today. Secular humanism, though, um, they do, they're more insightful than the average atheist, right? If, you, if you're our just, most of us out there, let me say it this way. Most of us out there don't really think uh, that all we are is a bunch of cells. If you really think deeply about this. So the easiest way to say this is uh, if you're a strict evolutionary biologist and you're a materialist. And what that means is not that you're, you want material things and you just want to buy more stuff. What I mean by materialist is all that exists are physical things. And if it's not a physical thing, it doesn't have matter that it doesn't exist. That's a materialist in philosophy. Uh, if you're a materialist, there cannot be love. And 
all there is is the there's the biological drive to further the species. Wow. Yeah. And most of us, right? If we really think deeply about this, so why our question today is like, why should I care about these things? And this is, I think, where I want to go with it is that because if you don't, you will never be happy. It looks good, right? In the moment, I'm like, man, I want to eat, drink, and fornicate. Yeah. And sleep. And if, and if I just do those four things, man, what an awesome life. But what the church's wisdom would say, and the ancient Greek and Roman wisdom, and so many cultures across the world, right? Like Confucius would say similar things. Buddha would say similar things. Uh, Hinduism would say similar things. Maybe a little less with Hinduism. But that if you, if you just pursue those things, it, it sounds good in the moment, but it will land you ultimately in misery. Totally. And a constant search, right? Like yeah. You're always, you're always, it's never good enough. Right. And I mean, I think most of us have experienced this on some level in yeah. our life. On, on, in, at some point in our life, and probably multiple times, I think in my life it's been multiple times, where I have pursued the big idols of this world, the, the false gods of this world, power, pleasure, uh, prestige, money, yeah. these kinds of things. And I always think they're going to make me happy. And what the, what the great, and here's why you should think, and just to get us right onto this answer, I think, here's why you should care about what scripture says. And here's why you should care about much deeper things than what's immediately in front of you. It's because you'll never be happy if you don't. Right. And so Augustine, this is a quote I use in marriage prep. Did I, I don't, tell me if I did this with you and Steph, but there's a quote from Augustine in marriage prep that I use with most couples. And Augustine, it's from the, his autobiography, The Confessions. And he's talking about people in his time in Rome. And he says, uh, they are more pained if their villa is poor than if their life is bad. And so, so hang on, to, let me finish the quote. Yeah. So what he's saying there is that, you know, if my, if my little uh, mountain condo isn't up to par with the Joneses. People, Augustine says, are miserable about that. So he says that they are more pained if their villa is poor than if their life is bad, as if it were man's greatest good to possess all good things except himself. And so to, to finally just drive this home, I'll throw it back to you. The point I want to make to start today is that happiness is not about what you have. It's about the kind of person you are. And so if, if you, and, and there's a Greek word, there's two words in Greek that can help us distinguish this, but um, there's a kind of happiness that we can all have where it's like, man, I just had the best pasta dinner of all time and a glass of wine. It was amazing. And that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, or if you're, if you're like, you know, just pursuing these practical things in your life, nicer house, uh, vacation, uh, whatever it might be. Those things have a certain happiness to them. That's not bad. But the point is, is that those things don't last. What does last, and Aristotle and Plato are, are big on this, is that fulfillment, and, and I said I would throw it back to you. Let me just finish this, though. Yeah. So Aristotle has a word in Greek that is, uh, it's called eudaimonia. And don't you love that? Don't laugh yeah, at me. But. So you, and this, and if you're out there listening, we love you guys. And we started this podcast because we hope 
that we have some wisdom to offer you uh, that really isn't ours, but it's from the church. Uh, eudaimonia means a, a good translation of that word is to flourish. So a person who is a flourishing human being, it doesn't mean they had a good day that day. People who are really flourishing human beings, they can have bad days. They can be depressed. Someone they love dies. They didn't get everything they wanted. And uh, that's different from that surface level happiness. Yeah. But they're the type of person who is going to be happy in a much deeper way over the course of their life. And eudaimonia, that human flourishing, is something we have much more control over than the passing pleasures of this life. Pleasures come and go. And you might be the hot thing on the block one week and you might be, you know, down on your luck the next. But if you're a person who's flourishing, Curtis Martin has one more line. He has a one-liner that says, uh, the world teaches us that pleasure brings happiness. God teaches us that goodness brings happiness. I love that line. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, so many things. I mean, don't you think when you're, when you're in that search and you're, when you're always like searching for that next thing and you're focusing on the false idols, that's where you start to induce like midlife crises. And yeah. a lot of those, like the depression that comes in later because of the like, one, I think the anxiety that you're always facing, but two, it's these unattainable goals and like, you live in the highs and the lows are so low, but that's why you truly need scripture and trying to understand that, to have that reminder of what's truly good. Yeah, I think that's right. And Aristotle has a great point about that. He says, he says that so much of our life is caught between real goods and apparent goods. Hmm. So, so there are things that, us, that look really good, but, but they have a, a mixture of falsehood within that. And so we could think of a thousand examples, but it's the typical things, right? If, if someone is obsessed with, like, an example comes to my mind is like video games. Yeah. I don't think if video games are inherently evil. I have problems with video games. But for a lot of people, it's like, this is it. Look at how good this is. And it's, it appears good to them. But what's happening so oftentimes in our lives is that the, the highest goods, the most important goods in your life that will make you happy in a way much deeper than the immediate goods are harder to achieve. What, what would be your example of that? Like the harder to achieve goods when you, when you reference that, what exactly is that? So Plato will talk a lot about this. Uh, but I think of, Things like magnanimity. Don't you love that word? Is that Latin? Uh, I think that is Latin, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, so magnanimity is a virtue, and it means a large soul. And it's, it's kind of, I think of like in your life, like Brian Cabral has yeah. magnanimity, where he is concerned about great things, where he wants to do, he doesn't want to just spend his life on the frivolous. He's like, I want to help people find God. Totally. And he's like, I want to help okay. athletes who have suffered tremendously and have kind of lost their way in life. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to help them find Jesus and I'm going to do great things with my life. 
and it's the opposite of kind of the person who wants to just, I just want to be comfortable. Can I just sit on the couch? Right. And that'll make me happy. And, and so with scripture, you know, it's just the perpetual problem is that all of us always think that we know more than we really do. Totally. Right. When I was in high school, I thought I knew everything that I knew what life was about and I didn't. Yeah. And right now I think I know everything, but I really don't. I need, and I need a voice speaking to me that has not just knowledge, but wisdom. And that, and you're referencing scripture. That's that's a huge voice in my life. Yeah. Right. Is that our, our world is filled with knowledge. Very little wisdom. Very little wisdom. It's kind of interesting too. Like I just, as I, I was reading at last podcast, I referenced it, but as I've been reading this book, I, I felt like the author made an amazing point about how psychology today is being driven by advocates that are now stepping into psychology, right? It's not like, yeah, I like that, you know, like it's not, I, mean, I don't like that they're doing that, but I like that point. Correct. And I, and I think, you know, I'm, as I've mentioned before, like I find myself a lot of times speaking in that world and it's so it is really hard to be a Christian in that space right now. Mm-hmm. It's very intimidating, scary, all the above. Um, but I look around and I'm like, man, if you hear their story, it's like, oh, they were a major advocate. Something happened. And now they're using science to justify their message or kind of spin the science yeah. in that sense. Um, and I think you could, you could see that in a lot of the world today even outside of just psychology, it's a lot of, there is a lot of knowledge out there, Yeah. but the truth and why it just seems like we're getting so much further away. And it goes back to the whole Nietzsche, Aristotle, yeah. you know, defining our own existence. Um, but it, it becomes so intimidating um, that I feel like I'm reaching a point where it's like the only thing I really can turn to and like i think that's where when i was listening to you with uh dr tim gray i was like man scripture is so powerful because it's it is everything that you need reinforced in your life yeah but it's also like the safe spot like it's like you know i think some of the gurus of the world in hollywood or whatever like tony robbins is like he just i remember when i started to really dive into him like his big thing was always like don't read the newspaper don't watch the news it's just negative like negative publicity sells, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, if you can just focus on those things. And I find it interesting because when you are trying to find true goodness through scripture and through Jesus and through beauty and through, that's right. <laughs> my, that you're trying to find the true truth, beauty and goodness, whether you call it a spiritual warfare, the attacks, any of that kind of stuff, it becomes harder to attain. It's like you need it more. You need scripture more and more and more the closer you get to it. And like consistently, yeah. it's like you're throwing spaghetti at the wall and it eventually something that you've read a hundred times will land in a different way. That's correct. And, and maybe that's through, I guess that's a question, a question more for you is like, is that because as you're maturing and you're going through that process of evolving in your Christian faith, you start to understand, understand things differently. Um, but in a way that will allow you to not necessarily be totally phased by what's going on in, you know, on CNN or Fox news or what book selling, what's not, you kind of just, I, I would, would hope you have like somewhat of a piece while all this is just unraveling quote unquote around yeah. you. 
No, I love that advice. And I, I need to get back to that. I've gotten better during the, um, kind of election of the last year of 2020, I was too caught up in the news and it wasn't healthy for me. Totally. And it, there's, a, there's a funny balance here, but, uh, but we need to be a little detached from the world to be able to see straight, right? Sometimes you can't see things unless you step back and have a little perspective on things. Totally. But yeah, scripture, I think, I think what happens oftentimes in our world, certainly for me, certainly for, it's just a truth in our time is my analogy. I was telling Patrick for this is, is like a car ride. Everyone's so fixed. They think they know where they're going, but they really don't. Right. And so everyone's like trying to get their car to drive faster. And they've got great cars. And so people are in their Porsches and their BMWs and their Jeeps. Uh, and <laughs> sucker punch. Yeah. Patrick has a Jeep, but they're driving and they're driving a hundred miles an hour, but they never stop and think about where they're going. Right. And what if you're going and they think life's great because look how fast I'm going. I am kicking butt. I'm going hundred miles an hour. Yeah. But what if you're going in the wrong direction? What if, what if the whole purpose of your life? And I think this is the midlife crisis thing. People go so hard. They work hard. They get ahead, but they're seduced by these idols, by pleasure and money and entertainment and power. They're seduced by them and they won't make you happy. Right. And this is why, you know, these, these great examples of history, not just in Christianity, but of course those are the, I think the best ones, but they're outside of the Christian faith as well. It's human beings who find fulfillment, not just in these kind of worldly things, but actually in becoming a certain type of person, having peace in your soul, being, you're going to be happy. I think of my uh, grandmother is a great example of this. There are external problems in every life. But if you are the right kind of person, no one can take that from you. Gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I actually, right when you said that, I, I thought about this um, at the Easter vigil. I want to add this could probably be a whole nother podcast, but when you're, and I assume you're talking about grandma Jane. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, and when you're looking back, like, do you think, not going well, hopefully, fortunately, we get to meet Jesus and, and ask and be like, you know, right now it feels like this is the end of the world. Like here it comes, you know, mm -hmm. do you think there's a chance we get up there and he just like crosses his arms and he's like, 2021, that was nothing. Oh, absolutely. You should have looked at 400 and like you remove that perspective of like what we're going through and yep. all these crazy, you know, it feels so big, probably just because of the media today and social media and how we're just inundated with that. Right. But in the big scheme of the world, kind of like, yep. It was nothing. No, there's a, I mean, I think it's a both and <laughs> yeah, totally. I think in one sense, because Western civilization, it's been collapsing since the enlightenment. Yeah. But it's always the end of the world. Right. It always is. And I think the thing that is true is the way now that we're redefining human nature, that's kind of a new thing. Totally. Where we're like, hey, you know, we can, we can redefine human nature as we want. You, if you're a man, you can pretend you're a woman. And what matters is how you feel, not biology. Right. And same thing with marriage. And us, we're playing God with human nature and you just can't, there will be consequences for that. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. I think there've been like, if you lived in the French revolution, if you lived in Paris during the reign of terror, 
you didn't think the sun was going to rise in the morning quite literally. Right, right. And there's been plenty of periods in history that are like that. Now, I read an interesting book, uh, I don't know, in the fall on Revelation, the book of Revelation. And it was a great book. And one of the points it made, and I think people in our circles, who I have a lot of sympathy, of course, with, but the author made this great point about how Americans think everything is about them. Yeah. And, and they say, oh my gosh, can you believe the state of the church? And can you believe the state of the world? And what they really mean is the state of the American church and American politics. And this author had just had this great insight of saying, yes, it does matter, but it's so arrogant to think that we're really what it's all about. Yeah. There are bigger things. And there's, there's just peace to this. One of the, one of the things I wanted to say to everybody today is that uh, when the world causes anxiety, there were, Jesus talks all about this in Matthew six. There's so much anxiety and I get caught up in that too. But one of the things I do every year is when I do my silent retreat, inevitably I, I get away and I get perspective. I step away and I'm like, Oh, that person who's putting all this pressure on me or this problem in the parish or, uh, my anxiety is about whether or not I'm being a good preacher or whatever. When I step back, I I'm like, those things matter, but not that much. Totally. And in a hundred years, this is a great meditation I'd recommend to anyone out there. In a hundred years from now, what's going to matter? Yeah. So I am 40 years old, the height of my power and strength and beauty. <laughs> and in a hundred years when I'm 140, uh, probably not going to be alive in, in the worldly, in the biological sense. Yeah. What's going to matter is not how much pleasure I had. Right. And I do think to back to our topic today that this is why you should care about the things that are not just the immediate and not the immediately practical. Right. I mean, and, and this touches on every controversial subject in our society. Right. I mean, gay marriage or for that matter, young adults out there or people, not necessarily young adults, anybody who's like, where's my spouse? Right. That's a real question. And I, and that's, I, I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, where's my spouse? Yeah. And when you become a priest, I still feel like marriage is so ingrained inside of our nature that there's just this weird thing in the back of my brain that still thinks I'm going to get married someday. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind myself, no, 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 you're not. And that's natural, but, and that's a suffering. That's a real thing. But this life is going to be short. And what really matters is did on my deathbed, what am I going to wish I had done? Totally. I, I feel like that's also, you know, I've mentioned the St. Gerard prayer. And I think it's like probably one of the true first times. I mean, pregnancy, not that I'm fully experiencing it, but it was through Steph. You got your baby bump. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Steph's cravings. Um, Steph's cravings. But it's a very like, it's beautiful, but it could really be stressful. Right. You're always kind of like, you're so anxious for your next appointment and this and that. And, you know, we've had a few scares along the way. Is there any of that kind of stuff? Steph just yeah. randomly feels nauseous. And all of a sudden you're like, is everything okay? Yep. Like, is this just the morning sickness or is this like a real thing? Like, what do we. Yeah. You guys went to the ER a couple yeah. times, I want to say. That's right. Um, a few scares. And then, you know, we had to go see a specialist and then we, you know, that all kind of worked out and it was a weird timing with this novena. Like, so there's one way of looking at that, but I think there's been something so beautiful about the fact, like we'll go and we lay down and 
I'm like itching. The natural part of me is like, I want to go watch the office or watch a TV show or kind of just continue on in my like zoning out of life or whatever I'm doing. But to actually just separate from that reality and say, I mean, I remember the first time we started reading the, the prayer, like Steph kept looking at me because I was bumbling over the prayer. Cause like the classic, like, Oh, St. Gerard, thou art thy <laughs> prince of hope. Like you're like, and I'm just like, I assume it said the, and I'm like, you know, it's like the first time I've ever read. Um, and she's kind of laughing at me, but it, it really is a great reminder of like, none of this other stuff really matters, Yeah, you know? And you kind of like, and that's where I think when you get lost in scripture and you have those teachings of Jesus 2000 years ago that apply today yep, in such an impactful way. But it really does when you're not getting inundated of like, get off social media, get off of Fox News, get off of CNN and focusing on that stuff to where, to your point, 100 years from now, like, did that interaction, does this stress, does that anxiety really impact me right now? Yeah. And that's, that's where I come back to what is a human being? And Any, any theory of life, any philosophy of life, any worldview that denies the transcendent, what does transcendent mean? Transcendent to transcend means to go beyond. Mm -hmm. There's something inside of us that goes beyond that, that craves and is meant for something greater than anything this world can give us. Yep. And so that's why we call the, the transcendentals are truth, goodness, and beauty. And, and think about this. I didn't really mean this all joking aside is that there, there sometimes, so when I get overwhelmed with Lords, there's certain times in my life. So, uh, during like December, I went down to Waterton Canyon, which is one of my favorite places on earth. And I had a Monday and I, I left Denver, went to Waterton Canyon and I did an all day hike. And it was, a, there was like a, it maybe not a blizzard, but it was a snowstorm. And it was beautiful. And I experienced on that hike a real sense of beauty. And what I did on that hike is I, I said to myself, I feel like a human being again. Totally. And this is the Catholic point is that if you focus on the practical all the time, you will end up being something less than human. You will, and, and, and we all know this, right? If you, you know, you could be Hugh Hefner, yep. right? And if you want to be a guy like, you know, who just pursues pleasure, you become Hugh Hefner. I promise you, you will not be happy. Totally. I promise you that. I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, the board I'm on, Bus for Life, um, it's basically trying to help ex-athletes from University of Colorado. Anyone that comes into a tough time um, financially or emotionally or support, however we can to help some of these guys. And yeah. I was one, like, totally, that's why I'm involved. Like, I understand that life after sports scenario. Mm-hmm. But we always kind of say when we're looking, we've seen and, and we've had a number of suicides yep. just out of football alone that you see, we can predict kind of where we really need to start paying attention to guys in their life cycle. And I think a lot of it's dictated by the non-transcendent, like the life 
yeah. of focusing on that, especially as athletes, where you're always trying to achieve something yeah. and you're no longer physically able to do that. Yep. We always say it's like right after you graduate, what's your, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Odds are you're depressed, you're all the above. Then right around 30 is another point because now you're about five or six years into the real world. You're thinking, you know, or eight years in the real world, whatever it is, um, you're, you're thinking you should be somewhere else and you're not then about 45. And then again, around like sixties ish, 45, like 45 being like the midlife Crap. crisis kind of thing. Yeah. Right. I'm coming up. I know. Yeah. Um, but then, and then at like 60 ish. And then that's where like, you see a lot of guys that their purpose has been their kids and now they're becoming empty nesters. Yeah. And they're looking at retirement and they're like, now what do I do? Who am I yeah. as a person? And you, it's pretty easy to predict, but I, I find it very interesting that like if, and again, I would say like in sports, a lot of people have faith, but just like I did, it was more like, God, help me catch a touchdown. Like keep me safe today. Help me make it to the NFL. Right. Which are not bad things, but they're lesser things. That's right. And, and but, and that's very much the main focus, um, that if you're not really kind of understanding who you are as a person and what's important, yeah. you'll find yourself in those traps and it's very predictable of when that happens. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. And this, I think this really is at the heart of things is that, <clears throat> and St. Augustine is always, he has such a wisdom on so many things. But he loves to talk about how love of lesser things will distract us from the love of the greater things. Totally. And I, th I think this is really the heart of the issue is all of us do it. When I was in seminary, I remember I would walk at night and pray the rosary. And the seminary here in Denver is in a nice neighborhood. Didn't used to be that way, but the nice neighborhood kind of grew up around the seminary. Everywhere around Denver. Everywhere around Denver. Denver's going through a lot of gentrification right now. And but I would walk at night and I pray my rosary and around these, you know, these million dollar houses, whatever. And you think, Oh, wouldn't it be so nice to have, the, what if I had that house? And what that is, that's that a million dollar house is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with a million dollar house except that it's lesser. Right. And you as a human being, if you don't experience there are, and, and this is not just pie in the sky, Nice thoughts from Father Brian. I mean this 100%. This is why I, as a priest, gave up my dreams for money and marriage and other things is because I found the greatest good. Totally. A good that actually, it's a good that's so good that it's not something that enters into me, but I enter into that. Mm -hmm. It is bigger than me. Things that are smaller than you can't satisfy you. And as a human being, you have a great dignity of a soul that's capable of embracing the transcendent. Totally. These ultimate goods that are beyond what, it, what we know in this kind of finite reality. And the only real happiness is not gaining more for you, but it's losing yourself in something bigger than you. Totally. And I think, and I do think that with these kind of crises, you know, at 30 and 45 and 60, they always come back to this is that, and this is Augustine's famous line that so many of you out there have heard but in the, the very kind of opening of the, the confessions, Augustine knew this. And, and Augustine had tried this. He was not, Augustine was not some philosopher sitting in his uh, tower thinking deeply. Augustine pursued these things. 
He taught wealthy senators in the Roman Empire. He taught their children rhetoric, which was very highly valued. He was a rising star. He had lived an active sexual life. Augustine knew what the world had to offer. And he starts his confessions and he says, You have made us for yourselves, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I love that line, right? And you, I mean, think about this with your, um, with your life, you know, you have a beautiful wife. You're about to have a child. Those are honestly, I think those are in this world there. I think there's nothing greater than marriage and family, but you know, you get into marriage and you grow accustomed to it and your heart longs for something even deeper. Totally. And Augustine says the way that marriage becomes truly fulfilling is if that, that good of your and Steph's marriage and little Gianna as your family, if your love is somehow carried up into the love that is transcendent, the love of God, then that love becomes something that's not temporal and finite, but something eternal. I know these are, these are like way too, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I love that stuff. And that, that's what ultimately will satisfy you in your life. And I think that's, what's so tough. Like, circling back to like when you're examining where the world's at today and all this stuff, like it, it's kind of landing for me right now. Like I just finished the collapse of parenting. I, when I referenced that before, I think just Leonard two episodes Sachs. Ago, Dr. Leonard Sachs. And he's specifically speaking to parents and, and his medical experience and just his years within the industry of how we've lost, lost the foundation. And, you know, we've turned to the kid is acting up instead of the parent, you know, he always says like, you're not, your role is not to be a, a friend it's to be a parent. Sure. Right. And that doesn't mean you can't be your friend with your kid, but at the same time, like you've got to lay down some of the rules. You can't have pizza before your vegetables, like random things like that, that we've lost. And he, it's a fascinating book, but I also look at it more just even from the standpoint, like narrow or widen that scope and life in general. Yeah. And just saying like, I mean, especially with you and your role as a priest and, and what you've embarked on is that reality of it. And that's why I think it's so interesting about the Christian Catholic teaching and scripture. And we've said this before, but it's not all the, you know, Hey, just go do whatever you want to do. Like, yeah, go embrace anything, this or that, uh, because you're afraid of some sort of conflict. Like you don't stand, you're never really in a truth. It's more just like, yeah, whatever you feel like, go, go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a fundamental collapse there that again, circles back to 23, 30, 45 and 60. You're never, you're always like trying to find that new thing of what you're feeling. And you realize you get there and you're like, this isn't it. And you're starting back yeah. over and you're never grounding yourself in what God has been teaching this entire time. It's there's my mind is kind of exploding right now with eight different things I know. <laughs> that I kind of want to say, but there's a, um, where do you want to go? And I, th- I think people assume they just know where they're going. Where do you want to go? Do you want to go to New York or Los Angeles? And people just start driving they, and they never thought about where they want to go. Right. And the church wants us. That's why you need to read scripture. Uh, and so Thomas Merton, you've heard me quote this before. One of my favorite quotable lines, Thomas Merton says the key to life which is when anybody, whenever anyone says that, it's like, okay, here we go. Like, this, it is. Is, this is kind of a big sign up for my six week course. For, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Thomas Murray would be the, he hate, would hate a six week course. But anyway, he says the key to life is discerning the difference between what is urgent 
Mm. And what is important. The key to life is discerning the difference between what is urgent and what is important. And, and one, one kind of example I want to give of this, this just popped into my head. This could be a whole nother podcast, but a great example of this, I think is we just think we know what we want, but we don't think deeply about it. We don't take time to think about what does God teach us about what matters totally. and where's wisdom. So for, I think a great example of this is the way we do end of life issues. And so there's a lot of books out there right now on this, but what we do at end of life and we spend most of our money in our healthcare system, keeping people alive at the end of their life with these really expensive procedures and kind of medical devices and different things. And what it does is we, we spend all this money and it keeps them alive days, right? A couple of weeks. And what we do is we want to extend biological life. But actually, that's not what matters. Totally. What matters is, do you have real life? Like the life that is in union with God. Most doctors, by the way, there's a great book on this called Being Mortal. And it's probably been 10 years since it came out. But it's all, it has all this wisdom from a top doctor. And he talks about how um, most, most doctors and nurses, all these surveys say, when you, when you ask them how they want to die, they don't want all these, these procedures that extend their life and are super, none of them want it. They've seen it so much. They say it's the wrong way to do it. But I think it's, it's very analogous that we just think we know what we want. Keep my life going. Don't want to die. Don't want to die. Don't want to die. But when you actually encounter people who have thought deeply about these things, they say, I want to live my life to the full. And I don't need to extend biological life in these painful ways. Totally. It, it doesn't make sense. Well, I, I always find it interesting and, and never, it's like a, it's like motivating for two minutes in most cases, but you always see like anyone that like is on their deathbed, they always say the same things. I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I didn't do this. Like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yet you read that and you're like, oh, totally. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to focus more on that. I'm going to go hang out with my family more. And then yeah. on the way home, I drive by that million dollar home. I'm like, oh, I got to go back to work, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> right. And, and it is like so much cells in the vein, but it, again, you try to prolong those things really because it's like, well, I wish I would have just been able to apologize for the way I acted and ignored my family yep. and a lot of that kind of stuff that you, I think, and going back to what you were saying too, like when you get in the car, you don't know where you're going. You're going to LA, you're going to New yep. York. And I think what has been so fascinating for me going through, especially this last year of really trying to embrace the Christmas season. Mm -hmm. We talked about that podcast back then, but now also even what you were talking about with Dr. Tim Gray was, you know, you were fasting and now it's your time in the eight days to feast. Yep. And the question being like, not only do most people not know where they're going, but then once you kind of figure out, okay, let's go to New York really taking a step back to say, why, why am I going to New York? Yeah. What, what exactly is it? Because I want to go be on the cover of the New York times, or is it because I want to be whatever it is? Is it something actually like good? Um, and oftentimes we don't do that. And I feel like this last year is the first time where I've really understood or starting to appreciate why the church says like, you're going to spend this time in Lent really reflecting on where you're going and hopefully over those 40 days you've been able to turn around now and be able to say like okay i'm rejuvenated let's go eat the ice cream let's do our stuff let's celebrate that time 
and really kind of like getting your bearing straight. Um, and it's not just about like, you know, it's, it's very deep more so than just like, Hey man, happy Easter. Anyways, back to work on Monday. Yeah. The person, I mean, even Plato says this, but what oftentimes happens and Augustine's again, is very big on this is we just choose lesser goods. Right. And we think that's going to make us happy, but actually, and so, so people feel bad. This is a, a, a great even image of this. People feel bad for the religious person who's poor. Totally. And what Plato, even before Christianity, he lives before Christianity. What Plato would say to us actually is that it's not that like, oh, wow, like we should admire this monk because they made the really difficult decision and they're, they're amazingly impressive because they gave up all these things. What Plato would say is they're just smart. They actually, they actually chose the things that are much better and they are actually going to have a much happier life because they chose something that's greater over something that is lesser. And Christianity really wants to say that to us. It's not, you know, with priests, people say, oh, I feel so bad for you. And there's things about priesthood that are hard. There are things about marriage that are hard. But, we, but something is not good because it's hard. It's good simply if God made it good or better. Right. And our job isn't to choose the hard thing always. There's a million hard things. Climbing Everest is hard. You don't have to climb Everest as a Christian. What you have to choose as a Christian is what's good. Right. And God calls us. Sometimes things that are good are difficult. Mm-hmm. But we don't choose them because they're difficult. We choose them because they're good. And again, just want to encourage all of you out there. I love that advice. Turn off the news. I need to do that more. I'm happier. The world's yeah. always coming to an end. It's always really. I mean, there's always a crisis. Yeah. Right. There, there. Everything's always ending. The next war is always coming. The That's stock right. market. I always, I always like the stock market one. Yep. Like in my newsfeed, in my Apple, like newsfeed. I swear once a week, there's some major, major economist predicts gigantic crash. Totally. Akin, maybe that'll happen. I'm sure it'll happen at some point. What are you going to do about it? Right. Go love your kids. Exactly. Go love your wife. Yep. Go pray scripture and have peace in the things that are eternal. No question. Oh, that's powerful. All right. Um, our email, we always forget to do this at the start. I always think people probably have checked out by now. They're like, here goes FB again. <laughs> yeah. Click. On to uh, the next one. Yeah. On to the next one. Let's go over to, you know, Bishop Barron, which is probably a good idea. Rant at lordsdenver.org. We've got some great emails. We do want to hear from you. If you have some thoughts and questions, comments, uh, we'd love to talk about those. We always want to be speaking to things that matter in your life but bringing the fullness of the church's wisdom and uh, insight into what life is about. But send us those ideas and questions. We'd love to hear from you. And circling back, I feel so bad. I forget his name that email today, but it was truly a fascinating email. And I really, really appreciate, I was not prepared. I, I didn't expect to bring it up. <laughs> I didn't expect to bring it up. Uh, it just kind of popped up, but seriously, thank you. That was a, really a, an awesome email. We will get to it. Um, and yeah, everyone out there, thank you. Tell your friends about us. And uh, we may have hopefully some merch coming your way soon. Get merch, a hat. Merchandise. Gregorian rant hat. Self-promotion. That. That's right. Love it. So That's part of, that's, that's Matthew 29. There it is. <laughs> Go into the world and promote yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll see you guys next time. God bless you.